You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, April 6th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. The number of unhoused students in public schools has surged. The California Report has new data on the uptick. In Sacramento, the City Council has adopted an ordinance in an attempt to stop growing harassment of clients of Planned Parenthood. As the Psychic Fair comes to town, KVMR's Julia Jem talks to skeptics and true believers alike in the segment we call Vocal Village. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The number of homeless K-12 students in California has surged by the thousands. That's according to new enrollment data from the state's Department of Education. CalMatters education reporter Joe Hong has more. The number of unhoused students attending California public schools went up by about 16,000 to a total of just under 190,000 unhoused students statewide. The state uses a federal definition of homelessness that includes students living in motels, trailer parks, campgrounds, or public spaces. The unhoused student count had actually dropped during the pandemic, which experts struggled to explain. So this return to pre-pandemic numbers is extra concerning. Schools in the Central Valley and Southern California saw some of the biggest spikes. At Kern High School District in Bakersfield, the unhoused student count more than tripled and more than doubled at Corona Norco Unified in Riverside County. Scholars say the overarching cause of homelessness among all Californians is the unrelenting shortage of affordable housing in the state. Being unhoused can have a dramatic impact on student learning. Unhoused students miss more school and often score lower on standardized tests. That was CalMatters reporter Joe Hong. CalMatters is an online state news site. Following a rise in harassment of both patients and employees of Planned Parenthood clinics in Sacramento, the City Council has adopted a new noise control ordinance outside these facilities. The measure will prohibit the use of loudspeakers or any other voice amplifiers within 100 feet of the property line. Deborah Franklin is a Sacramento resident and a volunteer at Planned Parenthood. She spoke during this week's council meeting. Every Wednesday morning for four hours, I get to hear language that is hateful and harmful and i'm especially concerned about people who are arriving in for health care they may be there for an abortion but they may also be there to find out a pap smear and whether it's going to be a clear pap smear or not maybe they're trying to figure out a best birth control maybe they're concerned they have sexually transmitted disease Franklin says the level of harassment has only increased since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year. People who violate the new ordinance could be charged with a misdemeanor and face penalties up to $25,000 a day. A new investigation finds that after police killings, many California law enforcement agencies are trained to keep news of people's deaths from family members. That way, according to the reporting, police can grill families for information that can be used to limit liability and protect departments' reputations. Here to talk about this is reporter Brian Howey, who investigated these tactics for the Los Angeles Times while at the investigative reporting program at UC Berkeley. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. 
So, Brian, how common is it for police to withhold the deaths of someone at the hands of law enforcement from family members of the slain? Uh, It's fairly common. I was able to identify 20 cases uh, of this tactic being used across California since 2008. Um, And in my conversations with uh, attorneys who specialize in police misconduct, I heard from multiple attorneys that this is so common that this isn't even surprising to them anymore. Where did police learn these tactics? Well, it's unclear where all of them learned how to do this, but we do know that uh, at least one person has been training officers to do this. His name is Bruce Prayett. He is an attorney and a former law enforcement officer. He's also the co-founder of Lexapol, which is one of the largest private providers of police agency policies in the country. And how do these tactics affect family members? I assume it's not great, right? No. In almost all of these cases, when I was able to speak with the families, they told me that these experiences increased their mistrust of law enforcement agencies and also caused them a great deal of additional grief on top of finding out that their loved ones had been killed. They found out that these law enforcement agencies had actually tricked them in their mind into giving up information about their loved one that they might not have shared had they known that their loved one was killed. And what do supporters of not informing family members about a loved one's death, what do they say are the reasons for doing this? Well, there are a few different reasons. The main one is the suspicion that family members may lie to them if they're aware that law enforcement have killed their families or that they may withhold that information from them. They say that the goal here is to get to the truth as quickly as possible before it's been, quote unquote, tainted by the family's emotions. And are there any police departments or sheriff agencies that don't agree with this or have policies in place where officers and deputies aren't allowed to do this? I spoke to numerous policing experts, including current and former police chiefs, uh, the majority of whom said that this was an inhumane practice and that law enforcement agencies should not be doing this. Uh, The consensus among most of them was that law enforcement Uh, investigators and detectives should be informing the families as soon as possible uh, what's happened to their loved one. And if the families decide not to share information after that, that's their choice. One thing that I would say is, you know, this, this story isn't about whether or not this or that police shooting was justified. It's about what law enforcement agencies owe to the families of people they kill. These families aren't suspects, and yet police are treating them like suspects. They're sidestepping what many in the profession would say are their professional and ethical obligations to treat these families like human beings and provide them essential context before questioning them during what is likely the worst moment of their lives. That is journalist Brian Howie. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us on The California Report. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford Medicine comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives, stanfordmedicine.org. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2024 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, 
working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health. On the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that's the California Report for Thursday, April 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, MindWatch, a coalition of 25 organizations led by the Community Environmental Advocates Foundation, has submitted its final comments to the Nevada County Planning Commission and Board of Supervisors opposing reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine. Rise Gold Corporation, based in Canada, has proposed reviving the mine. A final environmental impact report was released in December. The County Planning Commission is set to consider the issue at a public hearing on May 10th. In its letter, the coalition calls for the Planning Commission and Board of Supervisors to avoid prolonging the battle over the mine. The letter states that a majority of Nevada Countyans do not support the project. It asks the county to deny approval of the mine and to not certify the final environmental impact report. A Nevada County Sheriff's Sergeant on his way home from work Wednesday recognized a wanted felon on a Grass Valley roadside and took him into custody after a brief struggle. 55-year-old Daryl Skelton of Grass Valley was arrested on a felony no-bail warrant of being a prohibited person in possession of a firearm. He was charged with resisting arrest and possession of a controlled substance after running from the sergeant on Rattlesnake Road near Highland Drive in Grass Valley. Those details are from a Sheriff's Department news release issued this afternoon. Shortly after 5 p.m., the uniformed sergeant stopped to check on a man standing near a disabled motorcycle. The sergeant recognized Skelton as wanted. When he told Skelton he was being detained, Skelton ran off. The sergeant, who was not identified in the news release, said the suspect had a knife in his back pocket. The sergeant caught up to Skelton and, after a short struggle, subdued him as more deputies arrived. A knife was found on the ground nearby that matched the description of the knife seen in Skelton's pocket. The sergeant suffered minor injuries. Skelton was booked into the Wayne Brown Correctional Facility, where he was found to be in possession of suspected methamphetamine. And now to your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. Light rain and mountain snow tonight into Friday with a warming trend during the weekend. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, showers mainly after 1 a.m. and a low around 42. Precipitation amounts up to quarter of an inch are possible. Friday, showers mainly before 11 a.m. and a high near 49. South-southeast wind to 14 miles per hour with gusts to 20 miles per hour. Up to a quarter of an inch of new precipitation is possible. Friday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 41. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, mostly cloudy with a low around 30 and snow showers mainly after 5 a.m. Southwest wind to 15 miles per hour with gusts to 25 miles per hour is expected. Friday, snow showers likely before 2 p.m., then a slight chance of rain and snow showers and a high near 40. Friday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 28 and southwest wind up to 15 miles per hour. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, a chance of showers and a low around 51. Friday, a chance of morning showers, then mostly cloudy with a high near 60 and a low around 46. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR.
Mystics, seers, and others of the woo-woo persuasion will converge on the Miners Foundry this weekend for the 33rd Annual Psychic Fair. In today's Vocal Village, our intuitive intern, Julia Jem, took this opportunity to ask local folks about their beliefs around metaphysics, mind-reading, clairvoyance, omens, and predictions of the future. Even if you think you know what they'll say, listen in anyway. Nevada City, and Nevada County in its whole, has long been a haven for the eccentric. Spiritualism, the metaphysical school of thought opposing physicalism, became fairly popular in the late 1800s. And so it's safe to assume that spiritualist ideas began circulating in Nevada County around its incorporation in 1851. Today, expressions of spiritualism in Nevada County can be observed through events like the annual Nevada City Psychic Fair, as well as the Grass Valley Psychic and Healing Arts Fair. These events are considered to be gatherings of, quote, metaphysicians, alternative medicine practitioners and intuitives, acupuncturists, massage therapists, astrologers, energy workers, fortune tellers, herbalists, alchemists, and more, all under one roof. That's according to Ubinet. We're also home to a number of communities and organizations that operate in a way that honors spiritualist beliefs. This week, I wanted to learn more about how Nevada County residents feel towards these ideas. Particularly, I wanted to know how they felt about psychic powers, given that that's such an important part of spiritualism in our community. To accomplish this, I asked locals from Grass Valley and Nevada City the same question. Do you believe in psychic abilities? Why or why not? Here's what they had to say. First, we hear from Tanya and Jen at Briar Patch Co-op in Grass Valley. I do believe in them because I've had experiences with them, and my family has. Us personally, I believe in it because things happen like when um, my grandfather died, he was uh, stuck in ice on a ship, and my father could hear knocking at the window, and he kept looking out and couldn't see anyone, so he sat back down knocking. And then they got word that he had passed away when they said. So I do believe that is a sign. Do you believe in psychic abilities? Why or why not? I do, um, because psychic abilities, intuition, um, inner knowingness, ability to see things that aren't physical or aren't obvious. Um, I believe in it because I practice it and it works. I see. So do you think that, do you consider yourself to have some some level of psychic ability? I do. Awesome. Next, here's Ruben and Jessica from downtown Grass Valley. (laughs) Yes, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yes and no, I guess. Um, I say yes because it seems like my wife, uh, like she can read my mind sometimes. (laughs) She knows what I'm up to. She knows exactly I mean, I just could go through a number of examples, but uh, I guess it would be because of her reading my mind, which I th- we've been married 41 years. And I just think that some, sometimes she knows exactly what I'm thinking. And then so, no, because? No, because uh, I guess just, the, you know, from a skeptical point of view, you know, I've got more of a scientific mind, I guess, you know. Uh, for, like, I'm not a real religious person, so... Uh, you know, something has to be proven to me, I guess, in a way, for me to really accept it, if that makes any sense. 
Do you believe in psychic abilities? Why or why not? I do. And I just believe some people have it and some people don't. And finally, we hear these anonymous voices from downtown Nevada City. I do because it's unexplored territory for me and I uh, don't want to have a prejudice. So I do. I do believe. Yes. I definitely believe in psychic abilities and I think that they look a lot of different ways. Um, and I think intuition is actually a psychic ability. Would you say that you have some level of psychic ability yourself? Yes, I would. I think, I don't use the word psychic personally. Um, I think it's been overused a bit. But yeah, I, I can see things and I, I actually build my whole business off of thinking that way and following kind of these invisible threads. Um, yeah. Do you believe in psychic abilities? Why or why not? Uh, no, I don't. No? Why is that? Um, I'm not sure why I don't believe in it. It's just um, most of the people who claim to have psychic abil abilities do not. You know, so maybe it's like a case by case. Case by case. Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean... I do, <laughs> because, I don't know, I mean, you never know, I guess some people could know, like, the future or something, I don't know. Do you believe in psychic abilities, why or why not? Yes, I do, because I feel like if people are really intuitive and in touch, that they can know what's happening, or what's happened. Do you have experiences with psychics? I'm trying to think. I do, a long time ago, and what I was told feels mostly accurate. It was very specific, and that made me feel more like a believer. I do, because I will answer somebody's question with the answer they were thinking of and things like that, or know that your daughter's going to call, or stuff like that. So, so you I consider do. yourself to have some, some level of psychic ability? Definitely. But I also believe in spirits, too, so maybe you can't believe what I say. <laughs> do you believe in psychic abilities? Why or why not? Yes. Why is that? Why? Because I just know they're true. I mean, I feel them, and I know a lot of people who have them, and I feel I have a good intuition, too. So you feel like you, to some level, have some psychic ability yourself? Yes. For KVMR, I'm Julia Jem. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk. Observations from a Working Poet Last night, opening the front door to let in a cat, I heard my first owl. My first owl ever at the age of 67 and a half. I stood in the open door freezing to death and listened to it hooting. The whole scene was undramatic, except for the cold, although it was a very big deal for me. I've wanted to hear an owl for the entire 27 years I've lived in this county, despite not doing much about it. I don't take midnight walks to listen for owls. In summer, I sleep outside on a deck, but I'm always dozing off before the meteor shower gets going or the owls begin to call.
I tried for a while to pretend that morning doves were owls, but my most scientific friend gave me such a look of incredulity when I did it in front of her that I stopped. Hawks I hear all day long. The tiny raucous hummingbirds, scrub jays, Canada geese, sandhill cranes, nuthatches, red-winged blackbirds, robins, no owls. Is there something you want but you can't seem to get? I don't mean money or obvious things like a poem accepted by the New Yorker. Something that's less of a transaction and more of a mystery. I can't think of a good example. Maybe catching a certain kind of trout if you're a fisher person, or seeing the green flash when the sun sets into an ocean, which I've never seen either and always thought it was a story my dad made up. My life coach, yes, I have a life coach, even though I am a life coach, and even though the name is such a ludicrous cliche now, I can barely speak it aloud. She, my life coach, is trying to teach me to admit it when I don't know something. I waste a lot of time trying to figure things out, like why I behave a certain way or how to change it, and she feels this is habitual and learned distraction from feeling joy. I'm supposed to practice saying, I don't know, and also saying, this is not knowable. I used to think exercises like this were ridiculous, but actually they kind of work. I'm a skeptic eight days a week, but if something works, I'll do it, no matter how new age it sounds. Writing poems has taught me a lot about mystery. I can sit down, open my notebook, and write a sentence that comes out of nowhere, but is both beautiful and true. I had no plans to write it. It just appears in ink from the pen I hold in my very own hand. A mystery and a miracle. So much is out of our control and unfixable. Why do I allow for mystery in writing, but need to tie down every detail of my regular life, or else feel completely unhinged? I don't know. It might be time for me to let go of this compulsion. Okay, that's enough thinking. I'm going outside now to listen for any owls who want to hoot in my direction. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, April 6th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com And Rental Guys, now at 302 Railroad Avenue, Grass Valley, providing equipment rentals from home projects to large-scale construction and project sizes in between. Family-owned and operated since 1959. Rentalguys.com 
This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday at 6 for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.